but it is good to see you. Oh, that we would adore him. We just sang that. My prayer, my prayer is this. I trust that you found yourself coming to church this morning because you adore the Lord. But I want you to leave this morning adoring him, loving him more, that you're more in love with the Lord when you leave than when you came. If we, if we find ourselves falling in love over and over and over again with him, then we are certainly heading the right direction. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. Um, Our text will be found in verse 42 through, we'll cut our way into chapter 16 today, verse 13. Um, It's really kind of neat that we are on uh, the resurrection. Matt was so excited to be able to sing um, Easter hymns today. He's like, why do we get to sing them only one day a year? So this is why. Actually, this was originally planned uh, to be preached um, in April during Easter. So we're only just a little bit behind schedule when it comes to our series um, in the Gospel of Mark. What's interesting is this. If I say these words, he is risen, isn't that interesting? One, one day a year we do that, and you guys remember that because this message, this subject is of such importance for us. I want to I read um, the text first uh, and foremost. We're going to pray before that, but just that the Lord opens our, our eyes um, to see him. We have to realize we've been following, we've been tracking through um, the ministry of Jesus, the mission that he was given. Uh, the message that he has preached um, literally for well over a year now, and yet it culminates, I want you to understand, it culminates right here as far as the subject that we have before us. And so it is an amazing privilege that we can uh, look at, Lord willing, and learn from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, We know this week has been a devastating, devastating week uh, for many Um, down south in Texas, Uh, we need to pray for them. Uh, Just so that you are well aware, the SBC um, Disaster Relief has been mobilized alongside of many, many other organizations. And um, if you want to contribute, if you want to be a part of that, certainly be praying uh, for those uh, uh, fellow citizens in need. I think of the churches um, that have been washed away. The people today are not able to to meet in their own church because it's flooded. Um, And we just need to pray for them and pray that God would comfort, pray also for the family members um, who are lost and other families that um, are mourning um, the loss of life. So let's pray. Uh, Let's just ask God to bless our time, but also remember those um, in, in need. Father, we do come before you and we are most grateful. Um, that you are someone to be adored, someone that we can adore. Lord, you're not a God like many belief systems that is way, way out there. But Lord, you are personal and real, that you know us, you created us, you love us, you offered your own son to die. Father, as we are mindful of this text, we celebrate the fact that Jesus didn't stay dead, but he rose from the dead. He's brought new life, and that's why we can be here. Father, I, I pray right now um, for every single person that's here. I, I, I think, Lord, of some 
um, who I just know are aching and hurting. I do not know the circumstances. Um, in many respects, it just seemed maybe at the end of the rope. And God, I would ask that you administer in a, in a fresh way, allow the spirit to move and to encourage and to strengthen and to comfort. I pray, Lord, for the many down in, in Texas, uh, Houston area, uh, that those first that have lost loved ones, I pray for comfort um, that comes from you. Lord, you're a sovereign God, and, and we trust everything into your hands. And we know, Lord, that you control the clouds and the storms and the rain. And, Father, I just pray that even through this, um, this uh, natural disaster, that the name Jesus be exalted, that you would still be glorified. I thank you, Lord, for the many neat ways that we're hearing stories of testimonies of people helping other people, showing love. Um, I pray, Lord, for brothers and sisters' churches that are not able to meet today. Um, encourage them, strengthen them, even through this time. Uh, Father, I just pray for our community you've called us to be a part of. I, I just love um, this area. I love this church. And I thank you, Lord, for the time and place that you have you have. Um, put us right here, and I pray, Lord, that we would hear from you so that we understand uh, who it is we are and what, you've, what it is you've called us to do. Speak now. Please be with me. Guard my mind. Give me the strength and stamina that is certainly needed. Um, and just, just Lord, have your, perfect, have your perfect way with us. We ask this in the name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, uh, we'll pick it up in Mark chapter 15 and verse 42. The words will be in front of you. Some of you can read it on your phones, I'm sure. Do not check your texts or emails while you are reading, okay? Right. It'll probably burn up right in your lap if you do that during church. <clears throat> Mark 15, 42, and when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage, and he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who, who, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You see Jesus of Nazareth, who, who was crucified? 
He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he was going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and they fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and they told the rest, but they did not Believe him. Last week, we learned as Pastor Josh preached the darkest day in history. And it was truly a horrible, horrific day. And and it was horrible what they did to Jesus, but it was necessary because of what God did for us. I know on a dark, cold, wet day that really don't want to speak on subjects like this because it's pretty gruesome what what they did to Jesus his 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 body had been beaten and it was it was bloodied it had been whipped and scourged so much so that that his flesh his skin had shredded away from the bones they they nailed him the the romans would boast and brag that they had perfected the execution known as crucifixion. It would prolong the death, the suffering of someone in pain long periods of time before they died. They nailed Jesus to a cross, but we know that it really wasn't the Romans that killed Jesus. It wasn't Pilate. It wasn't Caiaphas. God offered his own son, and Jesus went willingly And Jesus was sacrificed willingly to suffer and to die. What we know as we read here that it was growing later in the evening and it was getting darker. And there's a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. He's not one of the 12. He's not one of the disciples, but he's certainly a follower of Jesus. As he's searching, he's inquiring. He wants to learn more. And he goes to great length to seek permission from Pilate for this body. We know this Joseph of Arimathea is mentioned by all four of the Gospels. He was a rich man, a a wealthy man, a high counselor, a voting member of the Sanhedrin, one of the 70. He had clout and influence. But before he could actually get hold of the body, he would have to wait for the Roman soldiers to pull and, and to pry huge nail spikes out of the the wood and through his flesh with some kind of a pry bar. I don't think he had to wait real long because the Roman soldiers were tired and they just wanted to go home. They wanted this whole thing over with. And then Joseph would have to lift that body, a dead body. It's, It's dead weight. It's limp, heavy, and 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 wet with sweat and blood and water. 
It says that he quickly wrapped him in a cloth. It says it was a linen shroud. And, and he probably had to as he lifted him and laid him probably in some kind of a cart or in the back of a, of, of, a, of a pack mule, an animal, to haul him, his body, to the tomb. Perhaps. Maybe stopping somewhere along the way. Usually they would, they would wash the body at some, they had to find a little water probably to wash him, to wrap him in, in, in linen cloths. He would have had to, he would have had to get a torch because it was that late and that dark to, to walk into the tomb to, 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 to show and to see those who were carrying him. Where to place the body? It was it'd be a shelf that was cut into the side of this tomb that had never been used before. Obviously, he needed some help. Push the stone across the tomb. The Romans sealed it with their own seal, and everyone left, except a couple of soldiers who were meant to guard a dead body. The, the darkest day in history. And yet we know that it turns the corner very quickly to become what I call the greatest day in history. In less than 72 hours. In Jewish history, understand that any part of a day was counted or considered a full day. It had been prophesied. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. I preached on this. After three days, I will rise again. But no one remembered this. No one remembered it. They were, just, they were just too distraught. Hearts were broken. They watched their leader suffer like that. Friday night, all day on Saturday, and then early, really, really early on Sunday morning. Some of the women were up early, and they wanted to finish anointing the body. It was done too quickly. It was done in haste. It says that the Sabbath was officially over, so now they're allowed to work. They're allowed to, to touch a dead body. But they were concerned as they walked. They're concerned. Their, their biggest concern was about this rock that was in front of the tomb. It was about this stone. It was, it was too big for them. It was too, it was too heavy for them to move it. But it's interesting. When they actually got there, what they thought was their biggest problem. It wasn't a problem at all. It wasn't, wasn't a problem at all. Instead, what was in reality theirs and everyone's biggest problem, and it's the problem of death. That problem was solved right there, right then, forever and ever. The stone had already been moved and they walked in. They saw an angel sitting there and, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. Will I be terrified? It says that they're astonished and they're, they're shaking. The angel says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth? And I could almost hear them like, yes, we, 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 we do. Who was crucified? Yes, he, he was, he was. Three words, three words, that's all it is. Three words that have changed all of history. He has risen, he has risen. 
He's not here. See, look where they laid him. But go tell. And he says, what? You go tell the disciples. You go tell Peter. You go tell everyone in three words that everything has changed. You realize it's because of those three words that we are here this morning on this day. You realize that if if he had not risen, then we would not be here. This church would not exist. There would there would be no reason for us to exist. It'd, it'd be an old school, empty probably. Doors would be locked at this time of the day. If he had not risen, why would we bother? Why? Because the significance of this record in the Gospel of Mark, the crucifixion and the resurrection, are by far, understand, the crucifixion and the resurrection, the darkest day and the greatest day, are by far, not, not only of what is written in the Gospel of Mark, not only is written in all of the Gospels or in all of Scripture or in all of books or what is recorded in all of history, what has taken place, those two events, is bigger than anything else that has ever transpired in the history of the world. Without those two events, we would be, as it says in Scripture, dead in our sins. Without those words, we would be dead. So significant. The Apostle Paul actually wrote more in the resurrection than anyone else in the New Testament. He says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not risen, close your Bible, get up, walk out, and go home. But that's not what happened. There's something amazing. It's different than anything else. There are 4,000 200 religions that exist in our world today. And there is no other religion or belief system that claims a resurrected savior apart from biblical Christianity. This is the only one because there was only one. The Apostle Peter says this, we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul preached one message. He said, I have one word for the philosophers, the brilliance existed in Mad in Athens. He says what? In Acts chapter 17, I preach Jesus and the resurrection. That's all I've got to say. Jesus Christ himself says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. What do you mean, though he die? You realize that the resurrection story not not only points us to Jesus dying on the cross and and raising from the dead three days later, that the resurrection story points to the most pressing and pertinent question that faces you and I today, the number one biggest question that we have. Resurrection answers it. The biggest question that we have is this. What do we do about the subject of death? Now, now you hate to hear it. I know that. Every single time I talk about it, I know it bothers someone. I get comments every single time. But guess what? You will die one day. Apart from the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Either what, you're coming to my funeral or I'm going to do yours. That's one of the two. That's the options right here. What what do we do about this whole subject that it captivates and and it drives the, the way people live today? 
on average what? Here it is, 78.8 years. Men, the average is 75.9 years. Women, 81.8 years. Because women's lives are so much easier than us as men, right? I'm going to get myself in trouble on that one. Together, 78.8 years. The study was done by the National Academy of Sciences in January of 2013. And basically the study says that if you make it to 75, if you make it to 75, you got a good shot at making it to 78. Thank you for that. Isn't that helpful? Isn't that hopeful? And so because of that, we what know that this thing looms and lurks over us. We adjust our life accordingly. Diet, exercise. I had, I had a midnight snack last night, and it was granola and blueberries. What is that? Is it really going to add years to my life? Go ahead and eat all the kale you want to eat. Put your SPF 50 on. I think it's wise to do all of those things. Perhaps, maybe, it might extend your life, but it's not going to, it's not going to negate the inevitable. Regardless of what your views are on this book, this gospel, this Jesus, this story, this resurrection... Something that's got to, 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 to jump out at you and grab your attention. What are you going to do about death that, what, at any moment you could be ushered into an eternity in one of two places? Heaven or hell? In a moment. A lot of people are banking. The the number one response that we get, nobody wants to go to hell. Some ignorant people will talk about the great party. No, no, it's not. It's it's torment, unquenchable, unquenchable fire. So the majority of people are are hoping to, and they're they're heading to heaven, and you ask them a question of, so, so why is it that you are going to heaven? And it basically boils down to what? I'm a pretty good guy. And, and you think about that. Well, on whose who's measuring stick are you a pretty good guy? Like, who, who are you um, less of a schmuck than your neighbor is? Is that how we, is that how we judge it? Like, who's, who's measuring this? No, no I, I, I just gave $4 to Hurricane Harvey this week. I'm a pretty good guy. And so what people are doing, I actually heard it described, you're taking all of your chips, I know that this is probably not the best example, you're pushing all of your chips out there, hoping that heaven, what, will be for you because you're a good guy, and who measures that? I've done some good things. Well, we'll realize that because you feel that you've done more good things than the bad things, that God doesn't judge, just, just judge your, your sinfulness. God judges your righteousness. And it says what? The very best, all the good things, your righteousness are like filthy rags. Which means that we don't have it. Therefore, we must put our faith and our trust in the only one. In the only one who is truly righteous. Listen to the way that Paul describes it in 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is the last letter. These are the last words that Paul pens. 
His body has been beat. He has been stoned, shipwrecked. He, he aches and he hurts. He's at the very end. He knows what's coming. Days, perhaps, after he writes this. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and I quote, that, that God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Realize why we can't trust like our good deeds and our righteousness because there is filthy rags. And so our righteousness must be, we must be completely reliant upon righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ because it says what? It says it right here that Jesus Christ abolished death and brought life. But what, what does that mean? It doesn't say that Jesus eliminated physical death. It still exists. This morning at 12.15, I walked out of a waiting room for an OR. And I was reminded of how, what, how brief life is here and how fragile life is here on this earth. Walk through a hospital, walk through a nursing home, visit a funeral home, go spend some time in a cemetery, and we realize the fact that Jesus didn't eliminate physical death. It says that he abolished it. What does that mean? The Greek word kartigeo, it, it means rendered inoperative. Jesus took death and he rendered it inoperative. Well, what does that mean? To render something inoperative is to think about what Penn State did to Akron yesterday. 52 to nothing? Nothing. They beat them every single way you could possibly beat a team. So what, what, what did they do? They scored nothing. It was zero. It's 52 to zero. Uh, that's completely what? The, the, that, that's what it means to abolish. Death is nothing for you to worry about. Death, death is nothing for you to fear when you know that you trust in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews describes it very well. He says, through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now, unless you live with your head completely in the sand, you have to admit that people are living in constant fear of the virus that's like right outside that door. Don't shake my hand until I do that little little smelly stuff on them and, and then I'm clean. And, and we, have, we have airbags. We don't just have like an airbag that pops up. We have front airbags. We have rear airbags. We have side airbags. We have straps around us and harnesses. And we line up vitamins right above our breakfast plate. And we eat all the vitamins. And we're doing all of these things. Wait, wait a minute, why? Because people do them because they're terrified. And according to what we see here and what we celebrate... The resurrection of Jesus Christ is that you have nothing to worry about. 
Now, that's, please don't say, this does not give you permission to go stand in the middle of the road with a truck coming towards you. This is not telling you, well, you can be foolish. Make sure you wear your helmet, okay, when you ride the bike, kids. Be safe, drive safe, play safe, all of those things. But you don't have to live in fear because Jesus renders death inoperative. He abolishes it. And as he offers life, he says he what? He gives it to you more abundantly. So not only do you, what, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, live with a sense of what? Joy and hope. But you, what, live it in a way that it just explodes in who you are, in your conversations. That you have an abundant life, not only here on this earth, but certainly in what is to come. We see what's, I get to my first point. How about that? Uh, number one, Jesus promises forgiveness of sins to those who ask. We have to understand here, first and foremost, the author of Ephesians says in chapter one, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Which means that if it's him, Jesus, then we've got to go through him, huh? In order to receive forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So although it is a bloodied, beaten body of the Lord Jesus Christ that was offered, it's our trust in his work that allows us to come to the place to ask for forgiveness that he paid the price for our own sins. And so we get a glimpse of this resurrection. We know about the saving, redeeming, freeing, delivering work of Christ. And Jesus removes the fear. Because we know that our sins are completely forgiven, regardless of what you have done. Yeah, but I've, I've, really, like, I've really got a past. We all do. We're all pushing a wheelbarrow. We all got junk in our wheelbarrow. Some people have more junk in a wheelbarrow than others. But praise God. It says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And there's something that is just so liberating from that. We don't listen to the lies from Satan that say, well, who do you think you are? Don't you remember that? How many times, how many times have us as parents been woken up in the middle of the night by one of our kids? Remember on more than one occasion, Remember Sarah shaking me, Daddy, I had, a, I had a dream and there were spiders in the dream. And goodness gracious, don't get near me. No, 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 no. What happens when a little one is scared and they had a dream with spiders in it or boogie monsters or whatever it is? What do you do? You, you, you come right here. You lay it right in between Mama and Dad and you are completely safe. And how is it that in like two and a half seconds they fall asleep? Snoring like a freight train. But they're at peace and they rest because they know that they're safe. Donald Gray Barnhouse, one of my favorite preachers, he pastored at 10th Press in Philadelphia for 33 years. He was preaching on this very subject, the resurrection of Christ, forgiveness of sins, blessings of the cross, the glories that await us, the hope of eternal life. And, and as Dr. Barnhouse was at the back of the church greeting people, shaking hands, there was, a little, there was a little 10-year-old boy who walked right up to him and stuck out his hand. He said, Dr. Barnhouse. Dr. Barnhouse shook his hand and the little boy says, we sure are sitting pretty, aren't we? That's a perfect description. And so every single one of us, every single one of us 
our sin when we ask and confess for Jesus to forgive our sins. Secondly, Jesus promises life with him to those who trust. And so it's trusting in that which we do not see. We're trusting in that which is unseen, but what we know for certain. Jesus said, after three days, I will rise again. All three of the synoptic gospels say that exact same thing, and yet no one seems to remember it. Jesus says this in in John chapter 14, because I live, you too shall live. He gave a promise, and what's cool is that he backed up his words with his actions. I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older, but there's, I don't think I'm getting like crotchety and crabby. I don't think I'm quite there yet. But there is a degree, in all honesty, the older you get, you get a little bit more skeptical or cynical. Somebody tells you something, like, I'll, I'll meet you there at 8 o'clock. Yeah, right. They kind of drive in at 8.20. You, you know what's interesting is that, is that when somebody follows through, when somebody gives you a promise and they follow through on it, what does it do? It builds credibility, confidence. Jesus said, I'll be dead for three days, but I'm not going to stay dead. Friday night, Saturday, early Sunday morning. And there's what? There's hope. There's hope in that. Jesus broke through the death barrier and no one, 4,200 religions, no one has credentials like that. Now, not only do we live in hope, but we have now what? Receive this hope to share it with others. We live in a community that is filled with people that are literally, literally confused with like what's next. They're confused with how to live. I, I believe people are looking. They're looking for direction. They're looking for instruction. I believe they're looking for answers. And God has placed us, what, in their lives so that we can, what, build relationships and see the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms How's it going to happen? Let, let, me, let, me, let me leave you with this. It's going to happen when the Lord brings to our minds and our hearts that one, two, three people, and we get on our knees and we begin to pray specifically for them that God would draw them unto himself. That's how it's going to happen. About three weeks ago, Wendy and I had dinner with a couple. They minister in the Middle East. Uh, specifically um, in Palestine or the West Bank. If you've read anything, uh, if you know history, um, any of the geopolitical climate there, there's been just a little bit of conflict in that region for about the past four, four and a half thousand years. Not the easiest, prettiest place to minister. Our friends minister with an organization called FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and they were invited by some believers in the West Bank to come and to, to run a camp for a couple of days, a sports camp. And they were anxious to do that. And so they, they brought their little team over. And for four days, they taught them soccer. They taught them basketball, build relationships, spend time with the kids. After four days, they gather everyone together and they present very clearly a message of the gospel. There's a hundred kids present. Seventy percent of them were Muslims. A hundred kids sitting there. They, they presented the gospel and they said, anyone who wants to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, please stand to your feet. One hundred kids stood to their feet. Every single one of those kids said, I, I want to follow Jesus. 
They were somewhat shocked by that and praising God for it. And the very next week they had planned, they had a second, second camp planned. Same thing, different hundred kids. Four days, they did basketball, they did soccer, and after four days of spending time in building relationships, they made a very clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they presented, what, an opportunity of those hundred kids. Anyone here wants to follow Jesus, then stand up to your feet. And out of that hundred kids, a hundred kids stood up a second time. My friend was like, okay, this doesn't happen like this normally. Been doing this a lot of years. He went to those that had invited him, those that had run the camp, and said, what's, like, what's going on here? Like, I've done this all over. This never happens. And he said, well, c- come, come with me. And they walked two blocks down the road. And they went into a building, and they went down into the basement. And in that basement were a group of believers on their knees praying specifically for that camp that was taking place. He said, that's our secret. That's our secret. You see, I I find that that concept is almost foreign for us. Ministry can be easy here. We have freedom and we have luxuries and and, and we don't live in some of the hostile regions like that. But, But may I remind you the power that exists when we're praying specifically to what? To a God who offered his own son and Jesus abolishes death and gives the hope of eternal life. That's what motivates us in this community for the gospel of Jesus Christ. May that motivate you this morning. Father, we love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the hope that exists for all of eternity because Jesus forgives sins and promises life. Help us, Lord, to understand what it means to pray for those that um, do not know you to build relationships and trust that you will draw them unto you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.